0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted. From Packers.com, I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from different locations at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, OTAs are underway this week for the Green Bay Packers. And not long after we get done recording this episode, we will be headed out to the practice field for the one OTA per week that is open to the media. That is uh, later today. And we have a lot to talk about in terms of storylines, things we'll be watching for over the next few weeks when we do get to watch practices. But we have to begin with the news that broke yesterday afternoon, late in the day. It was announced by the NFL that the host city for the 2025 NFL draft will be none other than Green. Bay, Wisconsin. And I'm a Wisconsin native. I've lived in Green Bay for roughly 25 years now. You are a Green Bay Area native. You grew up here. You have lived here your entire life. You went to college here, all of that. Tell me what this means to a Green Bay native for an event of this magnitude to becoming coming to Northeast Wisconsin.
1: So after the announcement was made, Mike, and it obviously was fast and furious uh, following the owner's vote in Minneapolis on Tuesday night, I should say Monday, Monday night. night, sorry. Monday, yeah. Getting my days mixed up already. <laughs> I, I thought back to my grandfather, my late grandfather who passed away in 2015 and he was the one when the whole referendum was happening about the atrium, you know, and, and Bob Harland, practically knocking on doors, trying to get drum up, you know, interest and support for, you know, the the sales tax changes, the amount of money that was going to be pumped into Lambeau Field. And I'll never forget my grandfather saying that, you know, he enjoyed all these years of Green Bay Packers football. This is the move that is going to set up my lifetime of Packers football. And it, it was so true because not only did the atrium become uh, a huge success in the renovations, I think, honestly, at Lambeau Field have set the standard for the National Football League and how you can have a stadium and hold true to your character and your history, but also continually improve it. Right. And then we saw Titletown go up and we've seen the Rush Expo go up across the street. We've seen Green Bay grow in so many ways, Mike, and for it to finally culminate in an NFL draft coming here. I just thought about how exciting the last 12 months have been for Packer fans to finally go to London for a game. Uh, the last team in the international series, Mike, that wasn't because the NFL wasn't interested in it. It's because every right. away team in the national football league <laughs> wouldn't let the Packers go, right? This is the home of professional football. This is one of the pillars of this league. There's never going to be a super bowl here. unless you and I both know that, but The fact that the NFL draft can come here is honestly just as big in my mind. And talking to people, friends, uh, Packers fans, Packers writers, Packers bloggers uh, on Monday night, you can see how excited they are. I think everybody's thinking about how this isn't just going to be a three-day celebration of the NFL draft. It's going to be a three-day celebration of football. Honestly, a whole week-long celebration of football.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see. And it's it's kind of hard to process right now that we actually have two entire football seasons to play and to cover and to talk about and everything before we get to this 2025 NFL draft. And we don't even know exactly all the, the logistics and machinations of how this is going to work in terms of how's Lambeau Field going to be involved. You have Titletown across one street. You have the Rush buildings across the other street. Everything's going to be, you know, in use, I think, in some yeah. way, shape, or form, we just don't know all the details and and how that's going to and- shake out just yet. But it's 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 really going to be something. When you you look at what has happened the last couple years, the the crowd that has been seen on television for the draft, especially for those first two rounds on Thursday night and Friday night, and uh, and to think about uh, think about that kind of atmosphere going on, as you said, a celebration of football here in Green Bay and surrounding Lambeau, it's going to be pretty awesome.
1: Well, and I want to just mention that quick. I didn't mean to try to jump in there, but the, the fact is, I know there are a lot of people nationally and people saying, well, is, there infrastructure, is the infrastructure in place? Is Green Bay big enough for it? I mean, obviously there's two different types of people, uh, the ones that have been to Green Bay and the ones who haven't. And uh, I actually ran a, a half marathon on Sunday and there are people out in their front yards handing people beer uh, during a race. Uh, this city, this community, the way that they embrace one another uh, on an average day, let alone a game day or a a major sporting event or something like this, where it's potentially a a once-in-a-lifetime type of deal with the NFL draft coming here, you're going to have not just all the community leaders, not just the Green Bay Packers, you're going to have the whole city of Green Bay and the surrounding towns and suburbs all being completely all in on this. And, you know, I think the Airbnb, you know, rates and things in green Bay are just going to be, you know, incredible and and how many people are probably going to open up their homes to this thing as well. And that's the aspect that I don't think a lot of people can appreciate if you've only just kind of, you know, just sort of dropped in and and tried to offer an analysis here. I think back to 2011 too, Mike, you were well in time, you know, entrenched in your role as a Packers writer. Uh, I was just a little lowly quote taker. I'll never forget walking around Lambeau Field during the kickoff concert game before the Packers played the Saints. And I don't know if there's an aerial shot of that or not. Maybe Justin, our producer, can swoop it in. But it was just a mass of humanity for the kickoff concert, for everything. We have put on big events here in Green Bay, the EAA, what they do down in Oshkosh. This community in the state of Wisconsin has done this before. The, the Democratic National Convention was in Milwaukee. The Republican one, I think, is going to be in Milwaukee. We're 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 not just some little town uh, that, that's never seen an event before. I, I, I joked with somebody on Twitter that you this analogy will completely go over your head, but I was like, this isn't gonna be Jon Snow and Mance Rayder trying to get the figure out what to do with the wildlings in Game of Thrones, like. They are going to know and have two years to prepare for this. And honestly, I just I think it's going to be a great exhibit of Green Bay and everything that this community stands for.
0: Yeah, we will have a lot to talk about in uh, in the coming years. Uh, certainly, especially after the 2024 football season ends, and then everything in the NFL will be looking forward to that 2025 draft. But I do want to get to the storylines things we'll be watching for in OTAs as the packers hit the practice field here for the next few weeks um i will take care of some sponsor business first however serious xm nfl radio delivers hard hitting analysis and up to the minute nfl news that true football fanatics need 24/7 365 and at cousin subs we have something for everyone like our wisconsin cheese curds mac and cheese golden fries and creamy shakes all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl cousin subs 50 years of better all right obviously the biggest storyline of otas will be that you know it's another step in the transition to jordan love as a starting quarterback right that being said jordan love has been the number one quarterback for this offense during this period during otas for the last couple of years so while we were we will certainly be watching that and we'll be talking to jordan love after practice i believe today at his locker I want to hit on some other things Um, just in, in general. And I made this comment in the inbox the other day, as far as, okay, what, as a reporter, like, what do you look for when you go to the practice field at OTAs? Like, what are you watching for? And in a very general sense, the first couple of things I look for are one, Where are the rookies uh, and particularly the draft picks lining up in terms of where's their spot on the depth chart as things start right now? Is there anybody who's working with the first units when they go 11 on 11? We may see Lucas Van Ness doing that. We may not. I don't know. Um, are they are they with the twos when the twos take the field? Are they back with the threes? So it's a matter of you know, and you don't put a whole lot of stock in, it's their first practices other than rookie mini camp in the NFL, but you make those mental notes. The other thing is this is our first time to actually see the returning players in person. And you always talk about it and you hear about the jump from year one to year two that NFL players can make. Well, the first thing that we sometimes notice is a player whose body physically from year one to year two looks different. It's sort of like, wow, that guy, like he grew up really fast, so to speak. Right. And I don't mean to disparage anyone who comes into the, into the NFL as a young man, But you know what I'm talking about. There are guys whose bodies will look different than they did as rookies. They've had an offseason to rest and recuperate and then train and get ready for uh, for this time. So those are a couple of, of the things in a general sense that I'll be I'll be watching for as we get a chance once a week for the next three weeks to see the players on the practice field.
1: Yeah. And it it can go a variety of different ways too, Mike. I think about Aaron Jones two summers ago when he cut out candy and he comes back and just looked lean and healthy and strong. I mean, like the guys have to figure out what works best for them. I'm guessing uh, because of Jason Vrabel's comments last week, Samori Toure is going to be a very popular player in the locker room the next few days, you know, variable the receivers coach mentioning that, uh, you know, he looks like a completely different guy right now. Uh, But for me, I mean, the biggest storylines that I think I'm going to be tracking, as you said, you pay attention to where the rookies are, but it doesn't mean everything, right? Um, I am curious to see what they do with Lucas Van S because realistically, I think the only other person that potentially could be running with the ones right now is, you know, JJ and Ibarre, and he's only in his second year. So it, it conceivably, you know, Van S could be in that role across from Preston Smith right off the bat, kind of like Darnell Savage in 2018. But the other thing I'm very interested to see play out is defensively. Uh, there is a huge spot open right now at safety. Uh, Rudy Ford is the incumbent. I think you would consider a guy that played in that role last year, but Jonathan Owens started 17 games, played almost a thousand snaps last season in Houston. Tarvarius Moore has been in that role. Innis Gaines played down the stretch last season. Uh, we've talked a lot about that wide open competition at safety. That's going to be a, probably the biggest one defensively to kind of keep your eye on. And offensively uh, just as you mentioned, Mike, seeing how, you know, Christian Watson has grown seeing how Romeo Dobbs has grown. Uh, and even a guy like maybe Zach, Tom, who we talked last year about having everything structurally, but maybe just needing that first off season, in the NFL to get his body, uh, you know, to let himself grow a little bit. So, uh, a lot of things to track for sure. And it's always interesting when you go out there and you take attendance for the first time and you're kind of keeping an eye on all 90 guys <laughs> on the roster. And I- I'm sure there'll be plenty written and said.
0: Yeah, and what you bring up about Zach Tom is interesting because I I think one thing that we'll all be watching is exactly where is he going to line up? We've heard he'll be competing for a a starting spot on the offensive line, but will he be lining up at right tackle or right guard or maybe at center? We don't really know. And the other thing, too, is whatever we see today or whatever we see next Wednesday or whatever the day is that we're out there, we can't put too much stock in it because here's the thing. We might go out there today and Zach Tom will be at, right tackle. And everybody's going to write about that and be talking about that. Well, you know what, tomorrow when the media is not there, he might be lining up at right guard. And then the next day he might be lining up at center. Those days that we don't see because the coaches will have these things on, on a rotation for guys that are, that are trying out different spots and whatnot. And when we're not there every day, when we're there every day in training camp, it's a little bit easier to report on it and feel a little bit more confident as to what is exactly going on. In OTAs, you have to be a little bit more careful in terms of that but that said we'll definitely be watching where he's lining up and and where he's competing and and the a couple other things too a few weeks ago we thought when we got to this stage we were going to be potentially watching competitions getting going at long snapper and at kicker and but since then Jack Coco has been released. So veteran Matt Orzik, the free agent signing in the offseason, he's the he's, you know, clearly the number one long snapper. There is an undrafted rookie behind him, but I think the, you know, the, the pecking order there is pretty clear as uh, as we head into OTAs here. And then at kicker, Parker White was released and Anders Carlson, the sixth round pick out of Auburn, is the only kicker on the roster currently. so those are things that uh, that maybe we thought were going to be a little bit more intriguing as things uh, got going here in late May but uh, but maybe not quite so much at least at this point.
1: Yeah, and that's how it usually goes, right? I mean, even think back to last year at training camp, we thought Stephen Wardle uh, going up against Jack Coco was going to be a, a camp long competition, and then Jack basically, I think, got that job either right before the first preseason game or after Family Night. Um, yeah, it, it can go a bunch of different ways, and certainly when you have a ninety man roster and certain positions you want to fill up, it's tough to have six guys at a specialist. You know, I mean, it just it's it's tough to have competition at each spot. Uh, the the other thing that is fun though about this process, Mike certainly there, there you, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Cause we're just seeing one practice this week, but, I go back to last year with Romeo Dobbs and it was right out of the gate. Dobbs looked the part and it's something that you and I, we were joking. I think even Matt LaFleur referenced it a couple of times, like, well, he just has to keep stacking days. And the next thing you knew, it was the end of the preseason and the guy still really hadn't blinked yet. Yeah. It's cool when you can watch a rookie come in and not not necessarily look like a superstar, but just look in his element, look comfortable, look at home. So it doesn't really matter if it's a quarterback could be Sean Clifford. It could be Anders Carlson as a kicker just the guys that their eyes aren't too big, you know, they're looking at the opportunity for what it is. And they're realizing that this is just an extension of what I've been doing the last three, four, five years at the college level. And I think that's the most exciting thing about this process along with that we're going to see guys like Caleb Jones. We're going to see, you know, Jonathan Ford, players that were like virtual red shirts last year that have had a full year to grow. And now not only want to compete for jobs, but want to compete for roles on their respective side of the ball. There, uh, It's tough because I think the off season, you don't want to make too much out of it as you illustrated, but it's also the most exciting time because it's, it is sort of like, Opening up the presents here after Christmas and, and seeing what we have here in a football team that ultimately is going to decide the destiny of the 2023 Packers.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of the notes that we make things that we will write and talk about over the next few weeks. it's It's things that you jot down or make mental notes and you file away because the things that you see when they're just out there in shorts and helmets at this stage of the spring. You make those notes because you want to see then if those players carry it over into training camp when the pads go out. And then you you're you're looking at the same player that you saw in the spring and and things don't necessarily change in terms in terms of their impact, in terms of uh in terms of the way they carry themselves, you know, as you get further into training camp. So it's about making those those kind of notes. A couple of stories I'll share from when I first got here, when you talk about a rookie making an impression, and then also the 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 growth from one year to the next. My first year, I actually got hired here at Packers.com in 2006 in the middle of OTAs. So I walked out to watch, you know, my first OTA practice as a writer for Packers.com. And the guy who was absolutely jumped off the practice field right from the beginning was a rookie receiver named Greg Jennings. The The way he ran his routes, the way he cut off of his breaks, the way he caught the ball with his hands. Everything you're, you know, everybody's kind of look, and I was a little sheepish because this was my first time out here, but I noticed that everybody was looking around and talking like, is this guy really a rookie wide? This guy does not look like a rookie. Everybody files that away. And then you wait and see in training camp when the pads go on, when the pre, when he's out there in the preseason games, does he still look like the same guy? Obviously Greg Jennings did still look like the same guy. He was a rookie wide receiver who was ready to go from the jump. The other story I'll share is, 2007, I distinctly remember coming back. Now, this would have been after the whole first year of Mike McCarthy as the head coach with Tom Clements as the quarterback's coach and the whole quarterback school in the offseason. They would have done it in 2006 and then again in 2007, leading into OTAs. And I remember walking out there on the practice field for 2007 OTAs and watching Aaron Rodgers, the number two quarterback behind Brett Favre. He started throwing the football and it was like, It was like he had a brand new arm compared to 2006. Like the ball was coming out harder, faster. The, what do they say in the, with major league pitchers, the spin rate or whatever of the, of the ball, the ball was just spinning faster out of his hand. It was, it, you could, you could see it with the naked eye. It was so obvious. The the progress made from 2006 to 2007 and everybody had filed that away as well. And obviously we know um, where eventually Aaron Rodgers ended up. So, while you do take everything with a grain of salt, it is, it is about making notes that you file away to refer to later because, uh, because there will be some players who will jump out on an OTA practice field. And then in training camp, they'll start to fade back into the background because they're, they're not quite there yet. There are other guys who will jump out on an OTA practice field, and then you start to see it again in training camp and in the preseason games. And those are the ones who, uh, who, you know, have a real chance to stick around.
1: Yeah. And then I'll close on this too, Mike. I mean, I, Again, we're not there yet, but I go back to mini camp in 2021, June 9th, when Jordan Love had at that time the best practice he'd had as a Packers quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, as you mentioned, wasn't in town at that point. So Jordan Love was leading the number one offense, and him and Jawan Winfrey on that day looked like, honestly, Montana and Rice. It was incredible <laughs> watching yep. their because it wasn't just, real, uh, you know, Love's passes. I mean, Winfrey was making some really nice catches for him as well. And I I felt like at a time that was a big turning point for love because 2020 was very difficult, very tough, not any preseason games, very few practices had to be very cognizant of how they were using players at that time. It was mostly about getting ready for week one, more so than just developing that rookie class. 2021 was where he made the big jump, the first big jump in his professional career. And obviously we've seen where it's gone from there. It's put him in a position now to be the starting quarterback for the green Bay Packers two off seasons, two summers, Mike, of kind of interning for this job during OTAs and the offseason program. Now, Jordan love every single rep out there. He is quarterback one, and he is holding a spot for nobody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He is QB1 in the spring and he will be QB1 when training camp begins in late July. So that will certainly be something we'll be watching and talking about. But with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team all through OTAs the next several weeks. Mini camp at the end of this stretch. We'll have it all for you on Packers.com. With that, We will not have another episode later this week, but we will be back right after Memorial Day with another episode here of Unscripted for you. So with that, for Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in,
1: everybody. We will see you next time.